All right, everybody, welcome back. Uh, I'm your host, Eric Castillo, with the Warrior Mindset and Motivation Podcast, and also life coach at Zimi Wellness Center and Indigenous Sovereignty. Uh, today, I got a guy from Portland State University. Uh, that's where I go to school. Been going to school there for a while. And uh, interesting story how I came across him. I actually thought that he ran the Instagram page. So when I wrote them, I thought I was talking to him, but then I wasn't. I was talking to someone named Isaiah. Then I was like, well, who's the dude that's always on there? And then he told me it was Billy. And I was like, oh, and he said I should message him and reach out to him. And then, well, here we are. He's got an interesting background. Um, as you see in the title of the thing, he's an Army Ranger. So, you know, those guys are an elite group of guys along with the Green Beret. So those are Army's elites. And they, they're, they're very proficient. They're very tactical. They're very sound. And they're, they're very good at what they do. And I had the pleasure to work with them while I was in. But we're here to talk with Billy about what he does with PSU, talk about his service, transitions, and stuff like that. So, Billy, go ahead and give everybody a, a little rundown about who you are, what you've done, and then we'll dive into it. Uh, so, Billy Dunstan, uh, I served for 13 years in the Army, uh, active duty for five with Ranger Battalion. Then I got out and went to the Guard in Maryland and in Oregon. Uh, we're there. I served as a long-range uh, surveillance or, like, scouts. Um, and then after I got out or a little bit when I was into, I started going to college and definitely recommend using your GI bill, uh, tuition assistance, just whatever you can get from your, uh, unit, do it. Uh, it's, it's too much money and it sets you up too much in the like long term to go get college. Uh, if you don't have an idea, just go to the college. They will help you. You can just be like, I have money, give me college and someone will help you. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, <laughs> with the PSU, uh, with the Portland, uh, Portland community college first, and then, uh, transferred to Portland state and now mm -hmm. run their help run their interviews, um, and do a lot of just different fitness stuff for them. Cause I'm going to school for, uh, applied health and fitness there. Oh, nice. Cool. And you're almost done with that. <clears throat> yeah. So this is my last term. Um, looking forward to being done at least for a little bit. And then, uh, in the meantime, like just for money, besides that, I've done some acting and I'm working with like a preparedness and like emergency response company. Oh, I saw that. That's pretty cool. Uh, <clears throat> my fiance, she does modeling and acting also. She's done all of that stuff. She's a Pacific Northwest model. So that's kind of cool. When I oh, saw nice. that you had the thing, I was like, Oh snap, a model actor over here. Cool. Um, <laughs> So I was, I was looking through your bio and I saw that you did uh, some deployments in uh, Afghanistan and Iraq. I did both also. So what, what, what were the years you were in those countries? Maybe we were in the same place at the same time. Uh, what years were those? Uh, so Afghanistan in 06, uh, we mostly were out of uh, Bath and Salerno and then uh, went to range school. And then I think I came back. So 07, we were in Tikrit. Uh, 08, where we go? I think, we'll, yeah, to crit twice and then uh, Bagram and then um, Camp Alamo. So kind of been, we booked about between Camp Alamo. We also went to um, Mesa Sharif. Up there oh, with, like, nice. Yeah. God, yeah. it's so cold up there. <laughs> so cold. Oh, yeah. Up the, the, that area is very, it's cold up there for sure. Uh, I spent most, every time, I went to Afghanistan three times and both all my times was in Kandahar. That's where all that's where every single time they sent us, because that was just like the most popping place to go to between that one. And if it wasn't Kandahar, then it was RC North, where stuff was just insane up there. Um, but I, I did Afghanistan three times. I went in 03 to 04 and then I went back in 10, 11 and then 13, 14. Of course, 
all different jobs being a field artilleryman. So every job was different. I only did my job as a field artilleryman in 2010, where I actually got to fire and provide fire support. So that was cool to actually be able to say I did my job. But mm -hmm. for you, like, what um, were you with the Rangers at any of these times in 07 or 08 or anything? Yeah. So my all my deployments were from um, active duty. I didn't deploy when I was in the guard. Okay. But uh, yeah. So I wanted to fight. That's like what I did went and uh, I listened to one of your other interviews where like, you know, and props to you guys. You guys are like, yeah, you know, I saw the tires fell and I and just like was like there, like <laughs> pretty much get, like, you know, and I was a kid. I was uh, I remember I was in ninth grade. Uh, it was biology. It was ninth grade biology. And we watched it on TV. And I was like, dude, I, that was like set me on a path. And I was too young and I did. Uh, delayed entry program, but my parents said no. I tried, I tried to do that, and then uh, I was originally going to go with the Marines, um, but they were like, my parents were like, no, you're not going. So <laughs> I, I was like, man, I'll, I'll turn, I'll turn 18, blah blah blah. And then my dad was like, no, I can get you in as a as a police officer, and I was like, okay, maybe I'll be a cop. And then I graduated high school, and like it's now like October. And I'm like, dude, I'm still working a summer job. I don't want to be here. All my friends are at college. Like, I need to go do something. And I went to the Army, and they're like, I was like, when can I get out of here? And they're like, oh, well, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, the Marines said. They're like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you say that, they, they really be like, whoa, stop. <laughs> <laughs> so they got me my uh, Ranger contract and uh, or like their option 40 to be able to go. And then, yeah, I ended up... Uh, and I'm going to basic training with under 11X. And it's funny, I actually got my acceptance letter into the uh, Maryland State Police the second week in basic training. So like, when you get your first, <laughs> the first mail you get, yeah, my, I got my acceptance letter. I was like, well, ah. Oh, that's pretty neat, man. Uh, and, and for those who don't know, I'll give a little bit of my piece. Also, um, when 9-11 happened, we were in the field. We had just started a two-week battalion F, uh, field training exercise, and that's called FTX, because the Army likes to abbreviate everything. Uh, and it was like day three and we were sitting there. We had just pulled into our position to occupy our howitzers and we had just set up everything, literally just got everything set up. And at that time we had to occupy our howitzer, dig a foxhole to the deep, to, uh, as deep as to the tallest guy, which was another guy who was like six, two and I'm six feet. So we had to dig that from throw the cover and concealment over. So it just looks like a big old, like, it just looks like a dirt mound when you're walking from the back. And we had, and my, my squad leader and I, well, they're called chiefs in artillery. We, we, we got a little into it. Like, we built steps going down in there. We built little cup holders inside of them in there. Like, we, we got it. We did all out. It took us a long time. And then our platoon sergeant, our smoke, comes up and says, hey, um, the Twin Towers in New York have been hit, and they've collapsed, and we got to go back. So we thought it was a training scenario. We're like, okay, go back? Cool. Like, well, all right, what, what position are we going to? And he's like, no. You guys don't fucking get it. Because he was a Spanish guy. So he's like, no, you guys don't fucking get it. We got to go back into the rear. And I was like, back into the rear? Like, are you sure? Like, is this legit? Is this being? He's like, no, everyone's going back in because of this. And it took us, uh, there's a street on Fort Bragg. I don't know if you've been there, uh, Long Street, that takes bit. you all the way down the field. And it took us four and a half hours to get in because they pulled every single unit out of the, of the field. Every single one it took us four hours to get out. And that was in 01. So what they did, once everybody got out, like no one really cared about cleaning equipment. It was just throw everything in the connex, 
close it up, and then it was provide guard all over the place. We were guarding core headquarters. They set up entry points, and then a year and a half later, they sent us to Afghanistan, mm-hmm. uh, to Kandahar, where it was basically empty. There was nothing. There was no boardwalk. There was no TGI <laughs> Fridays or Nathan's Hot Dogs. Yeah. The boardwalk was a U-shaped wooden platform, and it, it did just it was just nothing. <clears throat> that's all it was. And we get up there, and that's when we realized that we saw the special forces over there, the seventh group, and then that's when they separated us from uh, by platoon. Basically, they walked up, and our command had no idea. They said, "You guys are going to Kandahar. You guys are going to Kalat." And we trained with the SF guys for a couple of weeks. And then we started doing missions with them. We had no military vehicles. We had Toyota Hilux civilian trucks. And our gunner would sit in the back of the bed with like a 240 or a saw. The unsafest thing ever. So it's like, I look back at it now and it's like, how the hell did we sit back there with no (laughs) seatbelts? No pole to put the weapon on, nothing. Just sitting back there, sliding around over here, looking like Call of Duty, sliding around all over Kandahar, driving our little trucks. You know, like it was, it was insane. It really was, and that that's what happened for for me at that point. Um, and then uh, for Iraq was just a long convoy mission. Where did you do the same things in Iraq? Uh, so all of our missions were pretty much like kill capture. Uh, oh. until- the uh the end where i was part of team merrill uh with that um we would just basically go into an area and like tell all civilians to like bounce raise a flag on the roof and then just like get into it and tell like (laughs) yeah it was like as long as there was daylight we were getting shelled and we would just like have people just come at us we just yeah i was like last stand type stuff oh wow that's that holy smokes um that i can't even imagine how that would is because like I know like for me, there was never anything like that, but there were there were situations and times where it could have went that way, but the situation got de-escalated. Um <clears throat> so I mean just the just the the mental toll that it takes on that, like you know, your whole mind shift changes when you experience something like that. And it's like I always say, like, at least for me, after that first deployment, it, it felt like at that time, it felt like the innocent Eric was left over there in Afghanistan because something else came back, mm-hmm. you know, like emotions <clears throat> were turned off. Uh, attitude was different. I see things differently. And that's been a hell of a road of recovery, but like I see things differently when I go outside. I don't, uh, I don't just nonchalantly walk into places. I've learned how to mask it to where if I'm in a store, I can see people. I look at people. I look at cars. I look at backpacks. I mean, it's not as much anymore um, because of all, like, the work and the help I've been doing with uh, mm-hmm. with the wellness center that I go to and now that I work at and uh, just being helped in that way. But I know for someone like you and, like, the Rangers, like, I, I watch the stuff you guys do, and it's pretty incredible. Like, and, and I guess, like, for me, I see this, like, Rangers are, are – they're an elite group, but really they – at least from my perspective, this is my opinion, you guys don't do anything different. You guys just follow the TM for infantry tactics, and you guys just perfect it. Basically, if, if I'm wrong, you can tell me, but I, I believe that's no, what it is. That's pretty, pretty much it, man. It's like the, the dial's just turned up. 
really. Yeah. Um, I and, think things have changed now because um, I think uh, Battalion or Regiment as a whole has moved into like that tier one slot, which is mostly about money uh, more so than anything. You know, like if we get like, you know, 100 grand per soldier versus, you know, 50 grand per soldier, like there's just, just more training, more equipment, um, just every more things go into that. And I think like some people forget that there's like a money aspect into like how much it takes to actually make a soldier, you know? Yeah. But yeah, that's really the the difference is like there's just more time, energy, and money being able to be spent, and that shows, you know. So you're out there perfecting, you know, just the TMs. Yeah, and it's like I know what the what the what the SF guys they beat battle drills one through seven into our head. That's all we did. That we thought we were gonna get some special like SF manual. Nope, they broke out the infantry manual and said battle drills one through seven, and we did that for almost three weeks from sunup to sundown and it was like well that's it well damn like <laughs> like uh what why are some other people not doing this if it's here like what the what the hell you know like it's not that and and it, we we did really well at it and um yeah years later i found out through talking to someone is is that that community actually tried to give us uh special forces tabs on our right shoulder mm-hmm. for deployment but the army said no because we weren't green berets yeah. And the argument was, it's like, well, we're not, but it's on our right shoulder. Like for me, I'm not airborne, but my unit was the the cannon with the wings and the airborne tab. Yeah. So different. But I think I think it was at that moment in time, it was the stigma of that. And then people would assume. And then so I mean, but it's cool. It's that's all good. I we know what we did. And those guys who are watching now or they'll watch later, they know what we did down there in Kandahar and Kalat. And now it, it was a good deployment. I say that for for Bragg taught me how to be a soldier that's mm. for sure um were you and you were just only at one duty station when you were active duty yes when i was you're pretty much at uh when you're in battalion and well i say when you're in the regiment like in, on the umbrella you pretty much go to uh either first second or third bat and then there's like the regimental headquarters but i mean the special troops battalion but the thing is like those are all at um fort Benning. so third special troops all that stuff like that like that's pretty just common knowledge stuff that um like you can look it up. This isn't like OPSEC or anything, but like yeah, they're just at Fort Benning. Yeah. Um so really um you can be at Fort Benning, you can be at Hunter Army Airfield, or you can be at um uh Joint Base Lewis McCord. Um I'm old, so it used to be just Fort Lewis before they decided to change <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> Same here. Uh, they were separate. I was there from 07 to 09, and that was two separate, and as I was leaving, they merged it together. Yeah, and it was like a, like a service road that separated them and it was like, like why did you just whatever it doesn't matter <laughs> but uh yeah so i was at um fort benny or sorry not fort benny um i was at uh fort lewis and yeah man i that's kind of like when i fell in love with the pacific northwest um the driving here sucks but otherwise like if you like outdoorsy stuff um the people are good the people are great um, I actually moved back home for a little bit once I got out, and um, man, the VA in DC is terrible. I don't know if anyone's listening has a better experience, but it was just, just garbage. I mean, they'd like you go there. I would go in person, be like, "Hey, like this is me with all my paperwork." I'd bring my, you know, my um, I love me book with all the stuff in there, and be like, "Hey, like this is literally me." And like, "Okay, we got you in." I'd leave and they have my, all my paperwork. And then I'd have to come back and they're like, well, what's your paperwork? I'm like, 
dude, last time I was here, I just gave it to you. We're like, well, we can't sign you in and blah, blah, until we like figure out who you are. I'm like, okay. So that would come back. And then like, they would just like drop my um, appointment. Like, oh, we don't have your appointment here. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, what? And for a long time, I actually just like, was like, man, you know what? I kind of gave up going for my benefits in terms of like my, um, uh, not not my post 9-11 or anything like that, but just like medical yeah. benefits. Cause I was like, yeah, dude, there's probably, you know, like some Vietnam veteran who like needs this, blah, blah, blah. I'm not really that messed up. And I kept telling myself like, nah, 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 I'm, I'm good, you know? And one, I don't think that's really up for me to decide, you know, but also there's not like a finite amount of money that it's not like um, in the military, you know, where we have a spend decks, we're like, okay, these are the yeah. rounds. And if we yep. don't shoot all these rounds, then we're going to throw it away. Like, you're not getting as many rounds next time. It's not like that yeah. with VA benefits. Like, you're not taking from someone else's benefits if you don't get yours. Exactly. You know, um, they're not just going to, like, throw that money away or it's not going to, like, line someone's pockets. So, like, they want you to receive care. Um, at least since I moved to Portland. Um, I moved to Portland, and the VA was so much different. Um Basically, they have a VSO, so veteran service officers. They will come to college campuses. So that's another reason, even if you're not going to school, um, it is very good to even just to go on campus and kind of know, like, the area, maybe know a um, veteran service officer or go to the uh, VRC, which, like, I work at uh, PSU, and just, like, talk to people. Um, very good networking. Um, even if they don't have networking there for you, they can give you information where you can just go and do all those things. But, um, like, I started college and um, – well, let me back up. When I was transitioning out of active duty, I didn't really have a plan. Um, I joined the military to fight, and I was like, I thought I was going to die. I, <laughs> I did. I didn't say I wanted to die, but it was always a very, very big possibility. Right. Because, um, like, yeah, I was like, yeah, I want to fight. Like, I, when I joined, I joined in January, and I was on my first deployment by October. So I was just like, yeah, I'm, I was, I was trying to get it. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was like, this is what I want. One way to. ticket. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't really have a plan uh, getting out. I know I kind of like at the time I wanted to be a cop, um, but that was about as far as I had got. And uh, police work just didn't really jive with me. And I, I don't know if it was because uh, it was more the community. So I moved back to Maryland, and I just. I hated the people. I realized that the reason I left in the first place because I hated it in Maryland. <laughs> so I left again and then went back. And then instead of uh, moving to Washington where Fort Lewis is, I moved to Portland because a girl that I was dating um, was kind of like from the area. So I was like, okay, cool. Like I'll go to school here. And then got with the P uh, I was like, well, I, I need to go to college. I need to make money. And that was really why I went to college first. I was like, dude, E5, BAH, you know, like for your GI bill, I was like, I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it at first, yeah. you know. <laughs> and then uh, ended up breaking up her, but stayed on and like figuring out like uh, the veteran community, and then working for the P, uh, PSU VRC and being able to help other veterans because like a lot of the things that I didn't have getting out, even if your unit is bad, um, with transitioning you out, like there are still there are still ways to help you, kind of like within that first year, and even if you're past that first year, uh, I would say that's the golden year. But after that, there's still ways to help you. And um, more and more stuff is coming out now where um, you can get things overturned. Um, 
I just he just found out that the uh, um and this is a very small I won't say very small but uh unique. So if you were kicked out of the military for like don't ask don't tell or because you're gay before that, uh, and it just and you were less than honorable, you can actually get that overturned now. So I don't know if that's wow. uh, yeah. So so things like that because some people think that you know oh like I wash my hands I'm done I can't get anything done like no there's a lot of things that have changed now. Um, same thing with tattoos. There was like a, like a year where people were just getting kicked out and that, that was one bullshit, but yeah. Um, yeah. So I, those things you can have overturned as well. And a lot of times you just go to, uh, you go to a, a VRC and they'll help you or they'll put you in contact with someone who can't help you. And that's a lot of the game is just not, um, when you're a civilian, there's no, you don't really have a point of contact for anything. You have to do that all yourself. <laughs> you got to you know, figure it you can't out. Just like show up to like, well, I need to get things done. I'll just go down to you know finance. No, there's none of that. You have to go. Yeah. <laughs> finance is a bank. You take yeah. yourself to your bank. <laughs> so, but uh, and then I learned too, like even for people who have general discharges, those can get yeah. overturned if you've got a good enough case, and that's where you get your VSO, the DAV, or you know any of those uh organizations to help you out to overturn it. Um. I was trying to help a guy the other day. He got a general. Mm-hmm. And I was like, dude, you can get it overturned. You just got to get the right people to help you. And it can get turned over. And I hope he does pursue it. Um, I really do. Because uh, he was one of my soldiers. And he was a really, really good soldier. And they put him out on some some crap. And he has a lot of medical stuff. And I really hope that he does try to pursue that. Because I know that he can get it overturned. And then get the care that he needs. Um, so yeah. as, as we go here... Uh, how was your transition? Like people know, and I always say out here, mine was very rough and hard. Um, what definitely wasn't easy. A couple of other people I know, smooth transition, good for them, but mine was not. Uh, how was yours? What was your transition like? And now I know you got you got a couple. You got active duty to uh, guard, and then you're still guard right now. No, I'm out completely now. So I did okay. kind of two transitions. Um, yeah, but, yeah. So, so like, um, yeah, go on those if you can. Yeah. Um, so when I got out of active duty, um, it was it was rough because there was still that sense of like uh, I think I was like twenty three, so I still thought the I could operate the same way I did in the military, the same way I did in the civilian world. So I was just like, yeah, I've got drink and everyone wants to drink like me and party, and you know just blah blah blah, just going out and being like just super rowdy. And this was like. 2000, yeah, it was 2011, 2012, making a transition. So, like, st- still, st- stuff still got pretty rowdy back then. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so it was just, like, I had, it was a huge culture shock that, like, my civilian buddies, like, didn't want to do this. You know, they're moving on to, like, real stuff. And I'm like, no, but, like, I'm here to have fun now. Like, I, I'm done my work, you know, for a little bit. Yeah. So, um, I kind of wanted to go to college because I heard it was fun, not necessarily because I really wanted to go. So I didn't really have as much direction in that. But then I had, you know, uh, the police department and I, I'm glad I kind of figured this out that I couldn't serve a community that I hated. And just, I was in um, Maryland and there's just something about the people there. Like, I, I'm sorry, man. I just, <laughs> I'm not a big fan of uh, just the hustle and bustle. Like, the, the the West Coast moves a little bit slower in terms of like how people are will care for each other. Yeah, they're a little bit passive aggressive, but I've seen more people kind of go out of their way to help each other. 
versus mm-hmm. where the East Coast is seems like it's more if you can't do anything for me, then I don't want anything to do with you. Right. I don't, I don't know if you get any of that vibe, but more, I, more than. Uh, I know I know some people that are on the East Coast that do have that mentality. Like, yeah. um, and then of course there's always a, there's always that little small population that isn't like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally have come across both from the East Coast, and they they do that, but without saying. You know, mm-hmm. like they don't say it's not like a direct like, oh, do this for me, I do for you. No, it's just their actions kind of do that. Like they'll they'll downplay it or they'll blow you off or something like that, and it's like, well. Hey, I don't got nothing for you, so you're not going to help me. Maybe I can help you later, you know. So I have come across those. Uh, I but then there are some good people I know from the East Coast that'll literally bend over backwards for you. So I guess it, I guess it really just depends on the person and their upbringing too, uh, because we don't know their current upbringing or the situation. So there could be a reason why they're acting that way, you know, yeah. for whatever reason. So yeah, no, I get that. Um, I mean, let me be wrong. There's some good people, but I feel like there was more people that I didn't want to associate with and I didn't want to necessarily wanted to serve that community. Right. So, uh, found that out. And then I just, it was an excuse to also move back here. So like when I still kind of bouncing around, I did like security jobs, but like, I knew that wasn't, it wasn't, it was money. It wasn't like igniting my soul. So like, I just like, I was, just, I was just basically making it day to day. And that was just terrible. Like that, not having a purpose going from uh, I feel good about my job. It doesn't matter what I do in there. Like I feel that like that sense of accomplishment of like I'm serving my country gone. And now I'm just like, well, I can do what I want, but I'm not even sure what that is. Um, Cause I, you know, I joined at 18. So like I had an identity, but I didn't have like a solid base of who I was at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, so still kind of bounced around. And then luckily when I got to school, um, I met my then wife and got more into fitness. And I was like, I really like um, helping people work out. I really like working out myself. Um, I've always been in shape and being, you know, in battalion and stuff like that. So I was like, maybe I can make this a career. Right. Um, got into a little bit of acting while I was there too. But like, as far as the transition getting out, um, like the mindset, it was having to switch between like that doing everything for myself now so again like we talked about like there's not there's not like i can't go down to finance i can't go down to you know somewhere and get these things taken there's no point of contact i have to do all that myself right and you don't have a first line supervisor either you don't have a squad leader you don't have a platoon sergeant or a first sergeant or a commander you don't have that you have you yeah and that's hard to wrap your brain around for when you're coming out and you don't really realize it until you're out and you're like, you know what? Hey, let me call my oh, shit. I ain't got no one to call. And I think that's where the shutdown happens because there's, you don't have that person to turn to, but in reality you do. It's just, it's just the titles and labels are a little different. Yeah. You know, like, so. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say like, yeah, like, you know, you might not have someone who's like, this is their job or this is their expertise, but like, you know, calling your buddies and be like, Hey man, like, I don't know xyz do you know someone or can you help me and they might say yes they might say uh i don't know but like we'll figure this out or like you know i can pass you on and like there's nothing wrong with like one asking for help but if someone comes to you be like yo i don't know either but i can try to help you find out and that's that's a lot of what i do is like like especially even at psu like sometimes there are times when we have veterans that come in we don't have um a direct answer for them but it's like dude i'll 
hope you look. It's not it's not an issue. Yeah. You know, even yeah, if I, I wasn't getting paid for this, it's still yeah. like it's the community. Yeah, and I think that's how most veterans are too. Like, uh, I know I was trying to get a hold of someone who I deployed with. He was a colonel. I was uh, we were a security forces and assistance team, and I was his private security. Uh, and I wanted to get a hold of him to see if he'd come on here. And he he wasn't up for it. He you know it's fine. He didn't want to come on the show, and that's okay. But um, I reached out to one of my old lieutenants. He didn't know, and then the medic who I worked with, he knew a guy who possibly knew where he was at and it comes to find out the guy that hit the lieutenant he knew that was a lieutenant back then actually lived down lives down the street from him you know so like it's who you know so it's like the first guy didn't know he was like oh i could check my contacts but then my medic knew mm-hmm. and he knew the lieutenant and the lieutenant knew he lived down the street because he sees him all the time so it's like <laughs> but you don't know that unless you ask yeah and i think that's what veterans we got to do that we you got to ask the questions mm-hmm. you know you don't you don't have those people in charge of you anymore that can not think for you but kind of like uh push you in a way to to get your brain going you got to kind of do it yourself and this is more of a team effort now being out like you know it's it's more of a collective group and it's just helping each other out as the best we can yeah yeah cuz uh it's really Looking at that too, like the I another thing that helped me um, a lot. Granted, I took it a little bit later, but acting has helped me. And I, I know that everyone has a desire to be in front of a camera, um, but I think it helps with your public speaking. I still talk a little bit too fast, uh, but it helps me um, slow down my cadence. So if you have to speak in front of people, and it's weird because I've spoke to you know my guys, I've delivered op orders, but there's still something about being more aware of it from watching yourself. Um, to be a better communicator. But uh, I would recommend most veterans just take some type of an improv class or acting class. It can just be like the lowest basic level thing because it's always been, you know, you know, flip that switch. You know, I got to go drive, no emotion. The, the, the mission comes first. Mm-hmm. And that's fine to a degree, but you need to be able to switch or flip that switch back to going back to normal and it can be very hard. And I think being able to be in scenarios where there aren't any stakes. So if you want to get mad, if you want to cry, if you want to throw things, you know, um, to a degree, but in in an acting class, all your emotions can happen in that spot with no consequences. And then you can just move on from that. And then I think over time that kind of builds something that like, yes, it's okay to have these things. It's fine. It's normal. You know, um, but that's I think that's really helped me and a lot of uh, buddies I've talked to. And then also just like basic level art, because there's not a lot of endeavors to be artistic in the military unless like someone's like, hey, you you were a tattoo artist or you were something before you joined the military. Come over here and make our like guide on or make our whatever unit patch. You know, there's not a lot. Sorry about that. Uh, Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of that. Um, So getting out and being able to i i love to draw but i don't think i've really drew in the military and then now that i've got out i've gotten to like like foam craft and super nerdy stuff and being able to paint again and it's very therapeutic to just like make something that's mine mm-hmm. or paint and draw and, and do those things and i know that a lot of guys that have that i've talked to again uh when they start doing art again it just there's just something where they can just kind of let their mind flow into whatever it is they're doing right and that art is actually something pretty neat too. Um, and it, it can help express like emotions. Um, 
there was something that that I did. I can't remember the exact name of it. I was uh, I went to an inpatient program in Chicago called Rush University, and basically mm-hmm. it's four weeks, and they it's like it's like impact PTSD treatment. And towards the tail end, they have art therapy, and what they do is they give you a mask, a plain old like cardboard mask that's white, mm-hmm. and it's I can't remember the name of it. It's like a, it's a, I believe it's a Japanese uh, Japanese technique. I can't remember the name, and. Uh, Basically, they're like just draw, and it was it was very emotional because everybody drew some sort of face, you know. That's like what people want them to see. And like for me at that time, um, I had watched I had just watched the movie Venom, and I really related to that movie. So I drew that. I drew like a whole face of Venom with the one side of the with one eye instead of it being a face. It was the American flag, yeah. and that's what I thought people saw of me was like this just mean monster that you don't want to mess with, but I'm a soldier and I'm patriotic and that's what it is. And that's what you see. Like I will, I will end you and then I will go on, you know, and I will keep going. But on the inside of that mask, what no one sees, I had a whole bunch of words. I had depressed, sad, um, crying. Like I had all these different words that expressed how I felt. And that's what I didn't want anyone to see. And they had us share that. And out of, I think everybody cried in that group because it was hard to share that. And, but that's, that's, that was a form of release because now it's like, okay, that was the first time putting all that stuff out there. And that's art is, is super, super amazing when it comes to that, because you can literally throw everything out there and, and that's it. And really it's, uh, it's, it's up to, what you want the people to see so you can hide it you can hide yourself or you can put yourself out in the open yeah. uh, so that that's what i really really like about art uh so i'm glad that you brought that up because art is a really really good releasing tool um, i've never done the acting i was an extra in hawaii 50 when i was stationed in hawaii nice. so that's about as much as i got there for for that which was kind of cool um they they asked me to be a bad guy so i got to run around and and be a bad guy and it was kind of neat uh i auditioned to be the double of mcgarrett on the show and i got the show mm-hmm. but because of these yeah. i couldn't do it because they didn't want to cover up the makeup you know because he doesn't have tattoos so i was kind of was kind of upset with that one and then these fools call me like after i get out of the army talking about oh yeah we want you to be a, uh, a main character for three episodes and i'm like <laughs> i'm like seriously like damn it like <laughs> could you ask me that while i was there like what the hell but um but yeah i think that's kind of neat that you do all that stuff man and like um what type of treatment and then I, I don't know if you went through any type of treatments or um type of things because i know you were exposed to a lot um how what were you kind of reluctant to treatment or were you kind of like the typical stigma of like, no, I'm good. I don't need no help until there was a breaking point. And that, that's what happened for me. There was a breaking point and then everything kind of just snapped and then I got held. So what was it for you? Um, I kind of bounced around a lot between I don't need help and I do. And then, uh, so I guess the breaking point for me, and it's kind of led to other things, but uh, I had a gun. And I was like, man, I couldn't pull the trigger. And I was like, I'm just being a pussy. I'm, I'm, I gotta do it. Like, and at that point, I just felt like there was no, 
there wasn't any other choice. And it was, I got, I kind of got just a bunch of things that like survivor's guilt, like, you know, why am I here being a piece of shit when I had buddies who died with families? You know, I'm a single dude. Like I switched places with them in a heartbeat. Right. And, uh, I was just going to drink until I pulled the trigger and I would drink a couple, wait, pick the gun up, couldn't do it. Basically just kept going like that until I blacked out. And then when I woke up, I didn't want to do it anymore. And I'm glad that I blacked out. And it's just a very temporary hole. And I was like, yes, I need to get help. Like I, I, I called my, I called some of my buddies and they're like, yeah, you know, we're here for you, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I had always been opposed to seeking help. Um, like, like, let me say help in terms of like my friends, but like going to a professional. Right. And I was like, I've tried everything else. I, I I can't not try this and then be like, oh my God, like nothing's worked if I don't actually try everything. Um, they wanted to go with pills um, first and I didn't really do well. I just felt, it just felt like nothing. So like, no, this can't be it. This can't be the answer. Um, Cause I just felt compl- like everything was gray. And I don't know if anyone's ever felt that, but that's, I, I feel like that's almost worse. Cause there were no ups, there was no downs. Everything was great. So, yeah. um, I kind of transitioned out of that and then started talking to my chaplain. Um, cause that was when I was at the time, I, that's who I kind of felt more comfortable with, where they understood, um, the military aspect of it, but also was someone, uh, that I can talk to that kind of had that position of, um, what do you call it? Like, so I guess someone who's like, uh, not, not can like a, a, a consult, but like, uh, I don't know, just, just someone who could help me, help me through it. Like talk me through it. And just the, just a friendly ear. And, uh, that helps me out a lot. And I'm not religious or anything. Um, but that really kind of flipped the switch of being able to see that people outside of my social circle cared. Cause my chaplain like didn't, he wasn't like, I mean, he's part of my unit, you know, but I just saw him every once in a while. But yeah. um, from there, uh, I just needed to find like more purpose. Cause I, I talked about a little bit where I didn't have a driver. I didn't have a direction. I was kind of just living day to day and I didn't really have a lot of things that I enjoyed for myself. And then once I started putting more um, into the things that like made me happy so, I mean, that was working out. That was figuring out, like, uh, things about working out. I mean, even now, uh, acting, cosplay, all the stuff like that. They're just little things that um, are mine. They're not, the, they're not the militaries. They're not my wives. They're not my friends. Like, those things are mine. And I, you know, not, I'm not good at all of it, but yeah, um, it's it, I don't care. It's just mine. And sometimes I'm getting better. Sometimes I'm getting worse. But, you know, those things are mine. And no one's going to take those things from me. And now I have... Um, like I would say my life is markedly better that I can have things that are mine apart from everyone else's identity, whether it be the military, whether it be my job, school, like having those things um, really kind of like put me on a path to like, I guess, healing. Um, and then um, not saying I'm, I'm going to talk about busy too. I don't want to be that guy, <laughs> but uh, I like, I like to, fighting i've always kind of done you know martial arts and combatives stuff like that even as a kid but in getting out and like buckling down and having um 
the combat and the art aspect of it, but also having the social aspect of it too has been very helpful. I mean, now it's kind of hard with COVID, but before, I mean, it was just um, having something where I can expend energy and kind of like let my mind go for, you know, an hour, two hours, however long that training session is, and then come back. And I mean, it's, it's nice because I think that, especially as um, someone who's more combat arms focused, like you kind of need to have that aggression, not like, like I need to kill everything aggression, like punch wall, <laughs> yeah. wall aggression, but something where like I can, you know, be physical with someone in a, in a safe environment, you know, you know, it's, it's still training partners, but uh, at the end of the day, like shake hands. I mean, that's the greatest thing. Like I loved yeah. in military when they're like, yo, let's go fight like third platoon or whatever. And you just ran over there and, like, you know, it was like open hand slaps to the face, like punch to the body. You know, if you get tapped out, you got to go. But there was there was something about that where it's like, cool, like I got my aggression out. Like, you know, we had a good time. We're, we're going to hug and go have beers later. Yeah. And it's funny because like I was, I was uh, telling this story the other day to my fiance when I was at Fort Bragg. We have, there was like, the barracks was like a brotherhood. And like there was your internal beefs and things like that. And people would kind of whatever. But when there was an outsider, it's like all that stuff didn't matter. Like, yeah. you were like, wait, who the hell are you? Like, <laughs> oh, you got problems? Hold on. You'd be like, yo. And then everyone comes out, and you're standing next to a person you got problems with. But that doesn't matter at the moment. That problem is not is non-existent because you got this person over here acting like a retard. You know, they're acting crazy. <laughs> and then once that's all taken care of, you look at each other and be like, you look at each other and you're like, Oh, you're still a punk ass, you know? Oh, well, you're still a- and then boom, and then now you're back at it again after you just fought together. So it's like, it's it's incredible, like to get, yeah. You know, that's how a lot of that stuff happened. We would have little uh, sanctioned fights in the barracks too to kind of get that out, like no hard feelings, just to kind of just throw it out there. Um, one of my buddies a while ago, he we actually did that, I believe. Where was it at? I think it was. I want to say it was in Iraq. No, or it was in the barracks. They put boxing gloves on, and one guy was talking all this mess. And the guy was like, get the gloves. You know, they didn't hate each other, but they got the gloves. And then the guy talking the mess got his chin checked, and he got <laughs> knocked down. <laughs> and it was so funny. And he was like, oh, and he, like, fell down on the ground. And he got up, and he was like, all right. Gave him a little fist pump, and that was it. You know, like, it was just a healthy release. Um, I know for me, like, I do uh, – I was exposed to uh, – energy healing as as a type of thing where uh it's uh called emotion and body code and that's what they that's what we do at the wellness center that i work at uh they release trapped emotions and energetic imbalances and things like that and even to today man i i can't explain how that works but the shit works it really does like and especially if you got someone who knows what they're doing and they build that craft and experience over time. They they can they can find some stuff that you've had that you've been carrying around that you don't even know. Um, and 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 then sometimes they're pretty spot on uh, with what they find. And you're like, wait, you don't know nothing about me. How the heck did you know that? You know, like, and that that's what happened with um, my fiance. She does that. She's been doing it for over 15 years. So she's very skilled at it. And she works on me, and her mom works on me, and. I remember the first time that they were both working on me, they pulled out, they were telling me some things that's like, wait, how did you know that happened when I was like 15 years old? Like, like it wasn't exact, but it was like ballpark, you know? And it was like, wait, I didn't say anything. 
but it's like you feel a sense of uh like just lighter like you can feel the difference you know like when they release that stuff and i encourage like especially veterans if you got like a lot of stuff to give it a shot um i've had a couple of people do it recently who are veterans and i had one guy his name's ryan he is a very skeptical guy with anything but he 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 loved it doesn't understand how it works and he'll tell you i don't get how it works but it works and you get this sense of clarity the sense of uh pushing and it works with your subconscious and they kind of it's like the person working on you knows where to go in your subconscious and how to kind of just cut that stuff out and let it go so that way your spirit can be a little more free um so that that's that's just what i did because like the the talking and the things and the pills and that stuff is just not me and it's like you said you feel kind of gray like and i took a clozapam for anxiety that zombified me and and that was like no like i don't want to do that no more so it's like that's what i do now is huh i was like no you know you just know there's something wrong like this isn't the answer yeah, yeah it's just like no like no so that's that's the stuff i do now so like in it and I offer that up to anyone. If anyone wants to know more about it, you can write me here on Facebook. You can write me anything and I can set you up to to get a a session. So that way for veterans or even if not, it's just it just it helps out. And if, if your subconscious is not open to it, nothing will happen because the person working on you won't be able to do it. Like it'll be like a no, it'll it, they won't it won't let them connect. And it's and that's it's it's now this is starting to take form now in modern society where that's actually starting to become a thing now and it's actually proven by science now, you know and a lot of people don't believe things until science wants to come around and prove it, you know so now science has verified that that yes there is a connection there, and and it and it, it works especially for veterans especially for people who've been exposed to a lot of combat it, it works it really does, um, so that's that's kind of what I, what I leave with that there. And I know for you, you, you wanted, I saw your bio, you said you wanted to, I think you wanted to start your own business. I believe it was, is that what you said? Like you're, cause that's what you're going to study for, right? Um, so I have a LLC with the uh, Ranger athletics it is fitness. Um, mm -hmm. I have, uh, cut back my clients just cause I'm working on so many other things, but, uh, I being able to take someone who, especially if they're older or injured and they think that they can't perform exercise or they can't even this daily task and being able to take them from that to being able to do whatever it is they want to do, to do again um, is super rewarding. And I don't feel like anyone should ever feel like a prisoner in their body. Um, it doesn't matter if you are injured, um, you think you're old and a lot of, a lot of kind of new science as I'd say last maybe like 60 years in terms of like health and fitness. Cause before, uh, I mean, like, for example, right. You see a lot of people are like, Oh my God, they're like 50. They look so young, blah, blah, blah. And like, no, it's just, we take, and we have, we know how to take care of ourselves better. Cause it used to be, you know, Oh man, I hurt my back back in the day. Well, I guess I can't work out anymore and I don't work out. And then it's like, no, like you can fix that. And then we can go from there. You can still keep working out because if you just, just to, to say like i'm hurt I, i'm done wash my hands of it then you're always going to be hurt there's no way around that and i've even said that with like uh, for example if you were to if you're someone who's just like you know three four hundred pounds overweight and you're like well i'm going to get surgery to uh fix my body or you know whatever 
and you got all that uh you got liposuction or whatever and then you just never did anything to take care of your body you just kept the same habits you're going to go right back to where you are so like there's there's a term of maintenance but being able to just not be a prisoner being able to go and play for kids what i mean it doesn't matter what it is like that's super rewarding to be able to make your body do whatever you want because yeah. you'll know you'll know when you start being restricted when you move slower when it takes you longer to do things and like that's never that's never a good feeling but that right. those feelings aren't permanent either i mean i've seen dudes uh you know get and you get blown up, you know, arm, leg missing, and they're still out there deadlifting, squatting, like, you know, beasting mm-hmm. out, you know? So there's nothing that someone who's, you know, able-bodied, you know, can't do those things. And there's something about being able to, again, fitness being one of your things, if that's uh, – a lot of people get away from fitness um, after they get out because they're like, I don't have to do PT anymore. Well, <laughs> it, it, no one's going to force you, but it's good for your health, you know? Yeah. You don't want to be that old veteran who's like hobbling around at 40. You know, mm-hmm. like you can get out there and still do stuff. Like I, uh, pretty much until I got out, I was like, mm, nah, I'm an E6. Like I'm not going to let any officer or any private beat me at anything. That's not ever going to happen. And towards the end, I had a guy, a couple of guys that were like, you know, this is all they did was run. I was like, okay, mm-hmm. maybe, you know, but I was just like, yo, I got to try to get these like, you know, 13 minute foot or like 12 minute, two miles. Like I got to max out pushups. I got to max out sit-ups. Like there was, I was like, dude, I'm not letting some 18 year old kid beat me. And I'm not letting some cherry officer come in and beat me. I'm like, listen, like that was my whole thing going in to the military. So like, I think still having some of that pride and transferring it over, you know, or just even getting better. I know a lot of guys who get in better shape once they're out of the military because they can eat right. They can sleep right. You know, they, there's a lot of things that we, brand our bodies to the ground when we're in the military. And right. I think you can come out and be healthier and be more fit in the military or after the military and transitioning out. Right. And I know for me, I was never like the PT stud. I mean, I was, I retired as an E7. So I got to kind of sit in the back and push people. Uh, but I remember there was a time where, I mean, I would sell my PT squad of 300 was like 270, 260, you know, like, Good. And that's just because I had like a lower back injury and things because I was blown up by an ID in, in Iraq. So like I was battling through that and like leg pain and stuff. But I still got out there and pushed it. And I remember there was this young kid. Uh, he was 19 years old, you know, PT stud, 300. And we were he would always talk mess all the time. A healthy mess, <laughs> always to me. But we were we were doing room clearing procedures. And mind you, I had already had six deployments in, mm-hmm. you know. So, and he was, uh, the way we did is we would split it up, you know, hey, you guys are going to be the bad or good. So I was like, hey, I'm going to do, I'm going to run through this one, through this, uh, through this shoot house. Mm-hmm. You know, the weapons, no rounds, because it was just training for like close quarters engagement. And he came around and I grabbed him and flipped him over my shoulder and put him on the ground and put him in an arm lock like that. And I was like, how good is your 300 PT score now, bitch? <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, kind of frozen. And I was like, let this be a lesson. Just because I don't have a 300 doesn't mean I can't do this. You can't do this, and now you're going to learn. And I trained his ass all the way until closing. He never talked mess to me ever again. You know? So, <laughs> but that, I, I, that's just, that was a little story I wanted to share. That a little bit of a comedy story. I thought that was uh, that was funny because uh, I wasn't a PT stud or anything. I tried, you know, just, and I gave it my all. And PT was like a bittersweet. It's like in the morning, hated it. I hated waking up in the morning 
to run or whatever mm-hmm. when it was cold. But then it's like after you're done, it's like it jump starts your day. You know, like it, it kind of it gets your whole day going, and you're just like, all right, I did, did PT, took a shower, ate breakfast. What do we got? You know, it's like a you get all that stuff out from the day before, and you just push all of it in PT. And I think it's like super awesome to do that. So people, you see, Billy here, you you feeling like you're stuck in your body, or you don't like your body, which you should always like your body. But if you don't like the way it looks, you need to hit him up. I put his Instagram on there. So that way you can write him there. He's on Facebook. If you're my friend on Facebook, you can find him on my friends because he added me yesterday. So he's on there. <laughs> and hit him up, and he will definitely get you squared away. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's talking about. And plus, he was one of Army's elite. So you can't even that's – that's a trifecta. You can't go wrong with that combination <laughs> when, when you're trying to get sports medicine help. My best friend, Lewis, he's also doing sports medicine also. That's what he wants to do. So like awesome. you got these guys who are and he's a, he's retiring as a first sergeant. So he's you got these guys here who know what they're doing when it comes to sports medicine, and especially when they're out there pushing their bodies and they know the limits. And now they're getting trained for it. Hit them up. There's a resource there for you to do that to to get your body better, to get fit. And is and I'm not promoting like oh go be a gym guru, but no, it's good for your heart. It's good for your lungs, and it just gives you endurance. You don't want to be tired walking from the couch to the fridge. And by the time you get back to the couch, you sit down, you're like, yeah, <laughs> like, you, like you didn't ran a marathon. No, you took 25 steps, you know, like that's your body saying, I, I am out of shape and you don't need to go have a six pack or anything. I don't have a six pack, but I got endurance. You know, I got, I got what they call a dad bod. That's what I got. And I am okay with that. And, but I know that I, I have endurance. You know, I, I do my light PT with what I can do with my constraints and being diabetic and stuff. So I, I do what I can. And then that's just what I'm uh, empowering everyone here to do. And as we wrap this up, man, uh, what's something here? What's your what's your message for people, veterans? And I know I got civilians watching, too, when they tune in. And then people who listen on Anchor and Apple and Google and Spotify who will be listening. What's your message for them? especially the veterans, if you can give one to them? Uh, For veterans, I would say um, just ask for help. I know I would say ask for help with no expectation of necessarily getting what you've done. I think a lot of times we don't ask for help because we're like, well, they might not have the answer, so I'm not even going to ask. And I think that's a bad way of going about it because you're putting a little bit of stress on that person that you're contacting. Like, well, they should know it. But then also on yourself, like, you know, why, why am I not getting the answer that I maybe need or want right now? And, you know, depending on how many sources you go to, that's not always going to be a definitive answer. You might get to have to get a little bit here, or there, you know, another place. So um, ask for help, but don't necessarily know that, think that, like, you're going to get the answer that you would have got in the military with. This is 100% the way we do it. That's not, a, that's not really a civilian thing. Um, right. And just take care of your health, like I guess, like, we we're talking about you were saying that like we don't you don't need to be an athlete you don't need to be able to go to the olympics yeah you know <laughs> um but you should never ever ever feel like a prisoner in your own body like you should be able to do the things that you want to do um regardless of injuries regardless of age um there are people out there still killing it and it sometimes it is an uphill battle of getting to a part that you need to be but i will say it is so much easier to maintain a level of general health and fitness than it is to work up to it. 
So, I mean, and seriously, maintaining is a lot easier. Uh, I know it can be hard right now, um, but trust me, something is better than nothing. Well, there you go. The subject matter expert has spoken, people. So listen to that. I can't even say anything else on that. He said that perfect. There's nothing <laughs> else to say. So uh, we're gonna we're gonna wrap this up here. I thanks Billy for coming on here impromptu and coming over here. Uh, you can check him out. He's also uh, Portland State University underscore VRC on Instagram. Yep. Uh, he does he does a lot of stuff on there also. Since he since we're both PSU students. So you got him there, and his his tag is in the description if you want to follow him there, and then on Facebook, and then all of my follows and tags are on there as well for everything I do here on the social media platforms. And I thank everybody for watching and tuning in. And again, Billy, thanks for coming on and sharing some of your story, man, with us and empowering everybody with the whole fitness and what you do, and hopefully people will get inspired to do something. Yeah, thanks for having me. I mean, this platform is amazing, and I'm glad I get to be able to, you know, it might not be teaching people sometimes you just need a reminder you know i forget stuff all the time but having someone to remind you every once in a while they're like yeah i can be doing this or i can be looking for help i can be looking for fitness i can be doing for anything it's it's very helpful right awesome cool i appreciate it man thank you all right everybody thank you for tuning in watching and or listening and see you guys next week with our next guest that comes on see ya all right take it easy guys